How many times have you been told to eat your leafy greens, lose weight, and make better food choices? I'm Carol Johnson, and this is Hello Uterus. Tenia Gunro of Not Defined by Endo joins us today to talk about her experience with endometriosis and a not often discussed condition associated with it, ascites. If endo is your burden, Tenny is your inspiration. But first, uterus in the news. PFAS is at it again. When is it not? But this time, it involves a vegetable touted as a must in anyone's diet, kale. I love kale. Well, actually, I don't love kale. I don't know. Is anyone born loving kale or do like do people just naturally love kale? Because I've had to learn to grow to appreciate kale. And the impetus for that is because of the nutritional value of kale. But now we've got some kale problems. The FDA analyzed several kale samples between 2019 and 2021 and found zero contamination. Phew, right? Yeah, well, not so fast. Because Robert Verkirk, the founder of the Alliance for Natural Health, notes that the FDA only studied a few of the over 15,000 PFAS compounds and only detects high levels of contamination when studies show low levels of exposure negatively impact the human body. I would love to tell you how it affects the female reproductive organs and endocrine system, but those studies have not been funded. The Alliance for Natural Health funded its own study to determine PFAS contamination in kale, and the results are shocking. Kale was sent to an EPA-certified lab and tested with the same method used by the FDA. Bagged and loose kale was bought at Stop and Shop, Whole Foods, Weiss, and Publix food markets. Among the brands that showed PFAS contamination were Nature's Promise Organic, Greenwise, By Nature, and Palmetto Gardens. Only loose kale from Baker Farms did not contain the chemicals. I checked out Baker Farms, and if I have the right one, it's in Georgia. And so if you live in the Southeast, you might have access to Baker Farms loose kale. Alas, the vast majority of us do not. This is really astounding. I mean, we, we pay a premium for organic if we choose to buy organic produce. And now we're finding that we're paying that premium in vain because the new paper found levels as high as 250 parts per trillion. Though no limits for PFAS in food exist in the U.S., that doesn't mean that PFAS exposure is not bad for our bodies. The Environmental Protection Agency has found that virtually no amount of exposure to some PFAS compounds in drinking water is safe. That means no exposure. The exposure, the level of contamination in the kale is at 250 parts per trillion. In March of 2023, they finally took the first meaningful step and established maximum MCLs or maximum contaminant levels which for the small number of compounds in this first phase is hold on to your hair, four PPT, four parts per trillion. Checking my notes here. And the kale had 250 parts per trillion. So we eat kale to, among other things, help prevent cancer, but it's contaminated with PFAS. And PFAS have been shown to cause cancer. 
just really, really so disturbing to just absorb that information. And I found a quote by Mark Ruffalo, otherwise known as the Hulk, and the star of the inspired by true events film Dark Waters that tells the story of chemical contamination by DuPont. In this quote, he uses language appropriate for the alarm. And I love seeing this because we don't see this in many articles that are written. You know, they're just kind of, they're kind of cleansed and they use, you know, professional language rather than getting right to the heart of matter. If I was to write articles about PFAS for publication, they wouldn't be published because I would say things in there that they would say, oh no, that's just too aggressive. Well, I don't think anything is too aggressive when you consider the potential fallout from PFAS exposure. So anyway, back to the quote by the Hulk. My message to polluters is simple. After poisoning your workers and neighbors for decades, it is time to make our public health, not your profits, our top priority. My message to communities devastated by PFAS pollution is equally simple. Help is finally on the way. So do we give up? Absolutely not. This is part of the incoming tsunami of research, which will be followed by a massive tidal wave of lawsuits. We can speed this process up for sure by knowing this information and taking whatever action feels best for you. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to replace kale in my diet. And then I take into consideration all of the other food products that I'm purchasing. And I wonder what is their PFAS exposure? So maybe I can't take you know, much direct action at this stage in the game in order to fully protect myself, but I can contact my representatives. I can contact chemical companies and grocery stores and let them know that I know, that I know this, I know what's going on. And if we're all doing that, then they're going, they're going to get worried and they're going to take action. I've mentioned this before on an earlier episode of Hello Uterus. Last year, a group of investors, might be investment banks, wrote letters to CEOs of petrochemical companies and expressed their concern about the growing number of lawsuits. And, and why are they concerned? They're concerned because they think stock prices are going to tumble and then they're going to lose their investments. But to me, it's like the canary in the coal mine. When you see something like that, that's a real wake-up call because you know how protective they are of their cash. So if, if investment banks are writing petrochemical companies and saying, hey guys, guys, we're a little concerned here, then you know that they know what's coming and we're gonna help it get here faster. There are many issues to get loud about these days, but our food supply and water should be at the top when the fallout of lax policies and lovey-dovey agency industry relationships threatens our health. I'm personally tired of being taken advantage of, and I look forward to forcing change. So while my priority is uterine kind and building an amazing brand that can support all of you as you deal with chronic conditions and attempt to access healthcare during these turbulent times, snuggled right up under that priority is going after chemical companies and forcing them to stop poisoning you. That is a mission. Now, before we launch in to our interview with Tenny, I just wanted to extend my apologies to you for Hello Uterus being dark for two weeks. After I got glutened, we also then had some scheduling snafus because I was basically taken out 
by wheat, <laughs> by some wheat exposure that I think came from an ice cream cake. It was my fault. It was my fault. We're catching up now. And I just wanted to apologize to you for disruption in our regular programming schedule. Now, after this quick break, we will be back with Tenny. Follow the Uterine Kind team and me over on Instagram and TikTok at Uterine Kind. We're grateful today to have an endometriosis advocate and thriver with us, Tenny Agunro, who's the creator of Not Defined by Endo and a data engineer by day and self-described endo advocate all day, all night. And we couldn't be more grateful to have her out in the community supporting people who are living with endometriosis. Tenny, thank you for being on Hello Uterus. We're really stoked to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak and use my voice, lend my voice to what you're doing. So thank you. Yes. And we need to give opportunity for everyone living with endometriosis and other conditions that are routinely uh, experiencing delayed diagnosis and debilitating symptoms. We need to give them opportunity to speak out because the more that you speak out, the more support this community feels. And um, we've seen the the positive impact of that. People become better advocates for their health and they're able to better self-manage their condition. And so the fact that you do that because you don't have to is something that that we really, really honor and appreciate. So I, I would love for you to take us back when you first started experiencing symptoms and you did not know it was endometriosis. What was that like for you? Okay, so it's a very long story. I believe that I started experiencing symptoms from around 15 years old. So this is, so while some people say that, you know, the first period they had was extremely painful, mine wasn't like that. So I started pretty normal, like, you know, most girls my age, you know, excited about this new experience. And I started around 11 years old. But when I turned 15, I realized that the pain started, you know, becoming more and more. So I started getting intense pain on the first day of the period it'll be really intense really painful and then over time it got worse with time so it got to the point where while I was at uni I started missing classes for you know the first and second day and by the time I got to the workplace this was like around 2009-2010 I was in extreme pain where I had to be carried from like work into my friend's car and then I would tell her to stop and I would throw up. I mean, this was not like every single period. So it wasn't really clear that there was something wrong. I was just one of those people who would be said about that. Oh, yours is just a bit more painful than the others. You'll be fine. Oh, I know someone else who's like you. Oh, sorry. Like it just felt like, oh, you're just one of those unlucky ones that have it hard. We didn't know that something, there was more to it. And life went on like this. I remember in 2012, it was getting really bad. And I went to the GP a few times and, you know, they would say, you're fine. Have you tried the pill? They tried to get me on the contraceptive a few times, but I didn't understand why that was the solution to this pain. It didn't make sense to me. And no one explained anything. They would just be like, here, here you go. Here are these pamphlets, just read it. And then 
come back and tell us if you want to get on the pill. Of course, I never went back on the pill. But every time I had really extreme painful periods, I'll land in A&E. I'll be, you know, crying. I'll be on the floor throwing up and it was just hellish. By 2017, my quality of life was extremely poor. Like I was in pain, I would say 100% of the time. At that time, did so the pain initially was very cyclical. It was very much tied to your menstrual cycle. But at this point in time, are you saying that the pain now is happening outside of menstruation? So at this time in 2017, I would have pain when whenever I wanted to move my bowels. I would just have random pain in my like the lower part of my abdomen and it would be just like this deep ache and it would last for a while. I would have pain just every time, really pain after eating, pain before eating. I started to have some pain on my shoulder as well. Like it was like the pain was transferring to my left shoulder. So I was just in pain like all of the time. And I was also being, I was extremely bloated as well. And it turned out to be something else, which I would really like to shine light upon here. It turned out to be ascites. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Ascites. Yes. So I've got ascites. And for anyone listening, it's basically a I would say a complication of endometriosis. So every time I see a period, I would have fluid in my abdomen and it's bloody. And basically it's a it's a complication of endometriosis where fluid is building up every time you see a period. So it gets to a point where you look like six months pregnant and it's just fluid. So I've had five liters, 4.5 liters of fluids drained from me um, like three or four times now. Oh my gosh. So at what point did your care team stop saying you're just unlucky and this is just a bad period and start trying to identify what the cause is? So this was in 2017 when, like I said to you earlier, my quality of life had declined tremendously and I had this really painful ache at the right hand, like my right lower abdomen. I don't know if a cyst actually burst because I'll never know now, but it was really bad. And that was the day I decided that I wasn't going to leave the hospital until someone listened to me. So I took myself from work and I just walked to a nearby hospital. And I think I like to say I'm really favored and blessed and, you know, whatever you want to call it, because it's actually a hospital that has an endometriosis center. So in the UK, we have some endometriosis centers that are accredited and they are like parts of like tertiary parts of the hospital. Not every hospital has them. But this one did. So I decided to go to the A&E of that hospital. And I was like, this is what I'm going through and I'm not living here. And the first thing they asked me, I explained, you know, my history when I have the pain. And the first thing the doctor said was, you use, um, I told him that I use ibuprofen for the pain. And think about this, I'm in pain, I'm throwing up and I'm downing ibuprofen. And he was like, the first thing is you have gastritis, you know, after doing some tests. So he was like, do not use ibuprofen again. And I was like, 
I every doctor I've seen knows about this, and no one has ever mentioned to me the impact of ibuprofen on you know on my stomach lining. So that was the beginning. That was the first thing he said, and he said, "Don't ever use ibuprofen again because it's damaging your you know your insides." That was the first thing. The second thing he said was, "I'm going to give you you know something. Come back for a scan. Just it's a walk in, so you just walk in. You don't need an appointment, but you just have to wait." And I came back the next day and went for the appointment and it was a scan. And I would say that was the most comprehensive scan I've ever had in my life because it took over 30 minutes. Because normally when I go for this check, they just check boom in, out, and they're like, you know, you're fine or nothing or whatever. But this time the doctor took his time and looked and looked at every section and he was like, sorry, I'm checking. And initially he was like, this looks all right. Your, you know, your kidney looks all right. You, I can see your ovary. But then he was like, you know, your uterus is deviated to the left. I was like, what does that even mean? But now I know what it means. You know, all the scarring and all the adhesions had, you know, made change the shape of my anatomy. And he was like, initially he was saying, okay, it's all right. Then he was like, what is this? Hmm. hmm. And I was like, could it be endometriosis? And this is because I had been doing a lot of research and he was like, hmm, give me a second, I'll be back. And he went and called his colleague, I, I guess a senior colleague. And they looked again and started probing and checking. And that was the day I actually got diagnosed. Um, I would say unofficially. It was official, but it was unofficial just because, you know, the gold standard of um, diagnosis is usually a laparoscopy where they can actually see the lesions and they can take a biopsy and confirm that it's endometriosis. So that was the day he said, you have endometriosis, it's severe, um, you have lots of adhesions, there's bowel involvement, and your uterus is also deviated to the left. I mean, it was a relief when I had that, but at the same time, you know, I felt good to know that I wasn't making it up because something was wrong. But at the same time, it was bittersweet because I was like, what now? Yeah, right. What now? <laughs> so... When you reflect back on before you received a diagnosis and and so you're 15, 16, 17 in those years of, you know, coming of age and we don't get detailed education on our bodies and it, it's not an environment where we can talk freely about our period experience. What was it like from a mental health perspective for you? Like when you were by yourself, you know, whether like getting ready to go to sleep or, or you know, out on a walk, what conversations were you having with yourself about your experience and, and how did you take care of yourself from a mental health perspective? So I think that for me, when I was younger, it never occurred to me that this was, of course, a medical condition. What I was told was that this is normal. This is just what you should expect as a woman. So I didn't really reflect and say, oh, this is, I'm going through this. I just was just like, suck it up. Thank God it's just five days, you know, in a month. Although uh, as time went on, it got worse and it got, you know, those Three weeks between the five days became felt like 10 days because I would or less and it just kept going, feeling less and less because the pain, time of pain was increasing. However, I would say initially, you know, I was ignorant of the fact that, they, that I was going through a lot. But as time went on, so I would say my early 20s was when 
it became really bad for my you know mental state and this is it's not because i think it was more because i didn't want to feel like a burden to those around me especially my husband when i got married um i didn't want to be always ill you know i couldn't do anything for those five days i couldn't i would sometimes not even go to my kitchen at all so i think for me it was more like i feel like a burden on my loved ones you know over time like what is this thing and you know why it happens every month so it's not like something that happens once and that's it it's something that happens and keep happening and keeps happening so i think for me my mental health it was more like i just feel like i'm stressing people around me which which is something that i think a lot of people can can really resonate with um it is you feel like you're a burden or sometimes people describe like not wanting to make a big deal about it because they're afraid to lose the relationships that they have it's unique in that sense like if you had you know let's say like a, a terrible back problem and you would you know need support during periods of time, you know, it's like, it's like pretty standard and accepted like, oh, I, you know, my disc is bothering me or something. But when it comes to this sort of like, I almost see it like a swirly world of murkiness, you know, like we can't really talk about these things. And, and we also don't know a lot, like when somebody really understands something, then there's this easy flow of information describing it. Right. But in, in appointments around conditions like endo, fibroids, PCOS, because we lack so much research, I think there's also this added layer of like uncertainty. You know, people are just trying not to say the wrong thing. And it's like this, you know, just a different flavor of uh, experience that females deal with. And so I, I see that all the time. And, and it's, it makes me think of something that, that I read that you wrote which was a comment about falling in love with your body or learning to love your body through this. And I'm curious, how? (laughs) How do you do that? Because I think a lot of people develop sort of a a love-hate relationship with their body, right? They love, love themselves and hate the fact that their body is acting out or whatever might, whatever term might be used to describe it. How do you love a body that is uh, delivering so many debilitating symptoms for you? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I think I, I totally understand what you're saying, where you are saying, how or why is my body failing me? Now, I have flipped that over on its head. And instead, what I say is thank you to my body. Now, but hear me out. Think about this, this endometriosis, lesions, cells, whatever. We don't know, you know, science hasn't 100% said this is exactly what's causing it, right? Like you said, it's very under-researched, underfunded, and so on. However, think of what I, what I do is I think of what my body is experiencing and how it's still fighting. It's still standing. A lot of people on social media say, oh, I want, you know, a refund for this body. Or I think that the fact that many of us are able to actually still go to work, pretend we're all right. Sometimes, you know, you get home and you are so drained from your body holding you, you know, while you manage and work. It's not right. But I believe that 
you know, our bodies are actually trying, trying to fight the inflammation, trying to keep us standing, trying to, it's, it's not, it, it's not succeeding, but it's trying. So I tend to tell my body, thank you that, you know, think of me, for example, I've got ascites, right? So my body is constantly filling up with fluids and filling up. I don't need antibiotics or anything, right? I'm still able to function. It's horrible. And we want to get that fluid out as quickly as possible. However, my body can still is still holding me, if that makes sense. So I know I don't know if you get what I'm saying, boy. It does. Yeah, I tend to think of my body like you're going through so much. But you're still trying, you know, you're trying to hold on, you know, for dear life until, you know, we get hopefully more research into this condition and we can find a way or I can get excision surgery to get out, you know, all of the endometriosis lesions. So, yeah, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at it where because because one, it's factual, it's accurate, like that people who are living with endo or people living with fibroids or, or any chronic condition that is, um, is not understood. And so therefore treatment options are limited. You do have the opportunity to witness your body doing remarkable things. And also I think it, it draws your attention to how your body operates and inspires education around that or, or learning around that so that you can, you know, be a better partner with your body. You know, just something as simple as when feeling a pain episode coming on to descend into your body and kind of talk yourself into a state of calm. That to me is like really developing a tight relationship with yes. yourself. You've got your own back, which is very different from a really understandable experience that many people have, which is to disassociate from their body. That's an understandable thing to do. And uh, hopefully the more education you have about the conditions and about how your body operates, the easier it is to kind of descend inside, you know, and spend some time in there and just kind of calming everything down. So I think that's just so beautiful that that's been your experience. Um, I also wanted to to ask you about some of the self-care things that you've done that you feel are really beneficial and, if, and also include nutrition in that. Like, how are you coming at your, not coming at your body, how are you working with your body from a nutritional perspective? Yes, the nutrition is absolutely important. So when I started this journey, you know, like everyone who has endometriosis and wants to understand the condition and all of that, I started reading about, you know, things that could help while there's no cure. And one of the things I read about was the, uh, you know, endo diet, as people like to say, and the or the anti-inflammatory diet. Now, I'll first like to say that there's no one endo diet. There's, our bodies are all different and we all experience like various different responses to different foods. But one thing is sure and one thing is, um, I think, universal that we need to eat nutrient-dense and anti-inflammatory foods if we're going to fight this condition. So what I started by doing is I started to cut out a lot of things, which once again, I would like to say, we're all different. So it's one thing might work for you and it might not work for me. 
And it's also very difficult to do elimination diets. So I'm aware of that. But what I tried to do was start by, first of all, eliminating sugar completely. Sugar is a big information. Buy yeah. sugar. Buy See you sugar. <laughs> See you never, actually. <laughs> I just want you to know that when she said that, she <laughs> meant it. She had seriousness written all over her face. She was like, sugar is dead, dead to me. To me. <laughs> but it was one of the things that really made a difference. So I started by saying, you know what, you know, no more biscuits and all of that. And just to just to start something, just to get my body feeling different. So that was the first thing I started with. Now, another thing, because there are so many things to do. People talk about, you know, eliminating red meat, eliminating alcohol. I didn't really used to drink alcohol. that, So that wasn't really tough for me. Um, eliminating gluten, that was tough for me as well because, you know, I love pasta, I love bread. And I started trying to do a lot of eating gluten-free <laughs> yes. And you know, what I learned, um, we did an interview with the author of a book called Metabolical, which if you have not read the book, it is a must read. And I have celiac, which okay. has been um, described as a cause of abnormal uterine bleeding. And it w- was undiagnosed for over two decades. And I was eating gluten-free bread. And what I realized was that it's processed. And so it doesn't matter that, you know, it doesn't have gluten in it. It's still a processed food and it still is contributing to bloating and, and different symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people don't see an impact. However, I tried to do that. Mm. So like I was saying, I eliminated sugar, tried to reduce red meat, Mm. went organic, um, did all of that. Um, what else did I do? I started, okay, increasing, increasing you know the fruits and vegetables that i was having so i was eating you know i was doing the celery juice oh my god that was horrible (laughs) i know some people like celery juice but i hate it i like eating celery but i drinking it is not my jam (laughs) so i tried to do that started eating a lot of broccoli you know cauliflower carrots and just improving my health improving my eating reducing like my portions of pasta or rice and just eating a more nutrient dense um, food but one thing i would say was just by removing sugar and by just increasing the you know amount of fruit and veg and reducing processed foods, so not eating so much bacon or sausages and all that, I saw a vast in- improvement in my quality of life. Now, I still had endometriosis and I still had extreme period pain. So I just want to make that clear that I did very well with eating better, eliminating processed foods, sugar, alcohol, um, too much red meat. And I felt better outside of my period. So remember, I said earlier, I used to have a lot of pain during bowel movements. That got better. However, I still had extreme period pain. So when people say, I ate this and it helps with endo, it, it, it helps in some ways. But I just don't want people to feel bad if they've done all they can and they still have extreme period pain. So just to make that look. Yeah. Right. And that distinction is important to make. And it, I, I just want to emphasize that while making those types of changes may not directly impact your menstrual cycle and how it's being affected by any present 
disease state, what it does do is it powers your system, your whole system to be able to, you know, nimbly respond to what's going on in your body. And, and that everything that you're talking about, and I'm no gut microbiome expert, but I am making it a priority to read about the microbiome and, and learn and understand it more. And everything that you're describing is strategies that are applauded for feeding the gut microbiome. It's not like, it, like elimination diet has mm. such a strong sort of connotation to it. I look at it more as like an inclusion diet where like the way that I go about it, and I'm a very repetitive eater. I don't like necessarily experiment a lot. And so the mind frame change that I needed to make was I need to hit 30 fruits, vegetables, spices, whatever, a week. I need to have variety. And that variety will feed my gut microbiome. And again, it's not, it's not going to make your lesions go away. I mean, it might improve inflammation, but it's it's it hasn't been proven to reverse lesions, but it does help your body better, you know, deal with an imbalanced state. So I I think it's just right. important to to really highlight nutrition, but not in that way that you suggested, you know, is, is happening. Whereas, you know, this diet's going to cure endometriosis. We haven't seen that yet. We, I'd love to see that. But. You're absolutely right. Like the food, like nutrition is a very big part actually of life. You don't have to have a chronic condition, you know, to eat right. And I saw the impact of eating right. And when I say right, right for me might not be right for you. But one thing we all know is like, like you said earlier, having 30 fruits and veg in a week is amazing because that's variety and they all have different, um, you know, functions, different things they add to our bodies. So I made sure I did that. And I was really intentional with what I was eating. I was making sure that I'm, you know, eating my vegetables, my, my proteins. I'm not just eating carbs. I'm not eating late. Sometimes intermittent fasting can help. All of this is just to help you, just to help your body able to fight even better, right. you know, while we are still going to need to get the endometriosis out, but it just helps. Um, so that's what, those were some of the things I did. And now you asked about what I do, self-care. In addition to, you know, eating right, some of the things I did during an, you know, outside of the periods. During periods, I would use those um, heat patches on my tummy. I would use TENS machine. I also used a herb. So when I was at my worst, a colleague of mine, I always am a bit, you know, nervous to say this part because I don't like to prescribe anything, especially on the internet. <laughs> Right. We're not doctors. (laughs) We're not doctors. So once again, I prefer this with, um, you know, we're not, I'm not a healthcare professional. So please, whatever you do, make sure you speak to to your healthcare professional and, you know, do your own research is very important. But a friend of mine um, gave me these herbs. They are called yarrow and I would make tea with them. And I think, I know that there's lots of herbs out there. It's just a shame because endometriosis requires a holistic integrative approach i think that while we're removing you know the lesions through excision surgery we should also be looking at our diet and nutrition we should be looking at pelvic therapy 
which I did as well. So that's one of the things I did as well, pelvic exercises to just help to um, down-regulate my nervous system. That's also really important. So if you can afford it or you, if you can somehow request for it, please do because we've been in so much pain and we are clenching unknowingly. Our muscles are, you know, trying to fight the pain. That's why we clench when we're in pain. Um, and sometimes it's so tight, so tense. So we also need, you know, to be able to relax those muscles. And that's why pelvic therapy is really good. You know, herbalism, basically like functional or functional medicine, as some people call it. And, you know, you get some people talking about herbs and some of these teas and tinctures. And I, I used yarrow. And what I like to say is that when I use it, I will drink the tea one week before my period and then just carry on during the period. And I believe that, well, I say my pain reduced reasonably. You know, I would always still have pain, but it reduced. So it feels like it's not one thing. You have to do a whole lot of things. You have to eat right. You have to do pelvic therapy. You have to use all the pain relief as well. So TENS machines are good because they help to distract you from the actual pain and just trick your brain into thinking of something else like the electric shock. So those are all the things that I did. And sometimes just taking a nice warm bath, you know, just soaking in a bath is also, you know, so you need a whole arsenal, a whole toolbox of things to do. So, And it's, again, so well put because... Everything that you just described is showing yourself and your body love, care, and attention. And I think that, you know, we get these diagnoses that can be so difficult to, um, you know, to sort of meet with any kind of grace because they're intense. But what can happen is that you emerge through this process having uh, you know, sort of developed a relationship with yourself that you may not have attained otherwise. You know, the, the situation itself puts you in a position where you have this opportunity to get really intentional about your diet and how you support yourself. That is the silver lining, I guess. And it may be that, maybe that explains what I see having interviewed hundreds of patients. Um, I'm always surprised by the positive outlook that people have when living with endometriosis and like, you know, the bright, the bright big smile that I see on your face right now. And it, it just amazes me. But then I think about the process that they've been through brings them to that point where there is this level of respect for your body and the choices that you've had to make create a stronger you. And so I think that that's something that maybe, um, people can kind of latch on to if you're just getting diagnosed or if you're still struggling to get a diagnosis that you can really take advantage of this opportunity to become your best advocate and your best partner through this process. So symptom onset at about 15 and then your diagnosis was at what age? 31. So 2018. 31. So, so 15, 16 years. And what steps have you taken from an intervention perspective? Have you had excision surgery? So no, I haven't. I haven't had excision surgery because when we got to the point where I had to, you know, figure out what the next steps were, they told me that I had to choose between trying to have kids or 
trying to be treated basically from endometriosis so they were like what's more important to you do you want to try and have a kid first or do you want to deal with the pain first which is a terrible position to be in right because you know that you want to start a family you want to you know you know start building your family but at the same time they're like you can't have both so choose one and then let's go on that path and I chose trying to have a child so we went the um, route of you know trying to do um, treatment for um, IVF and getting a child and now I've got a child um, so <laughs> now I'm back on the path of okay now you have a child so let's now see what we can do for you especially because I've got ascites so something has to be done because if we don't do something then you're just going to keep having fluid build up so what they did was while we're trying to figure it out we're going to put you on GnRH medication which we all know that most of us that's what they put us on, you know, Zuladex, Lupron, um, and co, which many of us are very much against, but sometimes you have no choice. In the temporary, this is, you know, the path that I've been put on. So um, I am currently on GNRH and I'm waiting to um, do an MRI and then most likely I'm going to have an excision surgery sooner than later. So that's the plan. And during your pregnancy, were there any changes to your endo experience? Obviously, you weren't menstruating during that time, but were there any other changes that you noted? So during my pregnancy, I had a very difficult pregnancy. Like the beginning of the pregnancy, mine was extreme, but I I can't really measure it. It's too difficult to measure, but I had morning sickness all day. So I was sick a lot, you know, for the first like 17 weeks. And then when the morning sickness began to you know, get better. I started experiencing some strange symptoms. I was having a lot of pain, especially under my rib. And also I was unable to wee. <laughs> I started struggling. To, like sometimes I'll sit on the toilet and I couldn't wee. And the short story is that, you know, as the baby was growing, it was because my anatomy is already very weird. Remember they said my uterus is deviated to the left. I have um, a lot of adhesions. My bladder is adhered to my bowel. That one is adhered to my uterus. So everything is just stuck together. Oh, I forgot to say, I actually frozen pelvis. That's the medical term, which means everything is actually stuck together. So now imagine a baby trying to grow in there and trying to expand and stretch everything. So that's kind of why um, it was really difficult. I had to get a catheter because I couldn't be anymore like it was literally impossible to me and I spent the last three to almost a month in a hospital because I was just ill like everything that could go wrong went wrong so it was a really difficult pregnancy and whether it's because I I don't think the endometriosis lesions were doing anything but the scarring and the adhesions and everything the anatomy just being so messed up made it really tough um, and while all the doctors were saying, you should not have any symptoms anymore, you're pregnant, but no, I have a lot of pain. Oh my God, <laughs> can we just pause and cry and cackle over that for a second? I don't know why you're yeah. having any endo symptoms. You're pregnant. Are, are you yeah. kidding me? I have, yeah. I have a frozen pelvis. Like I would think that you would have, you know, many more symptoms because, you're either, you know, breaking those adhesions or, you yeah. know, there, there's a lot going on there. 
Um, they don't seem to. They're just like, oh, well, I, I think he should not be in pain. So be grateful and just keep him moving. <laughs> yeah. And that that's a, a um, great opportunity to just say, you know, we need more health research for conditions that primarily impact females. If we could we could just get it up above the 5% of, of all worldwide funding that goes toward health research yeah. goes to females. If we could get that over 5%, that'd be really cool. We do make up yeah, half of the population. Great. That's yeah. just my public service announcement. And I tried to be as kind <laughs> as possible because if you, if you listen to me when I'm like storming around my house after I've read an article or a study, I'm not at all that composed. I'm, I'm much more <laughs> specific about how I feel about it. I'd love to kind of just to, to wrap up by kind of creating this scene that you are, you know, sitting in a park or you're on an airplane and you sit down and you start to have a conversation with someone and, you know, it comes up that she has really bad periods. Okay. That's all she, that's all she's describing, right. Is that bad periods thing. First of all, I'm curious do you do what I do, which is launch into like basically a, a you know a complete dissertation on how bad periods is not a diagnosis, and start asking like what are your symptoms and what? But what is what is the pep talk that you give that person? And, and do you find this happens to you? Yes, I've encountered quite a few people now, and thanks to you know now knowing how to use my voice and raising awareness, we found out that they had endo. So, um, so let me answer your question first of all. If someone tells me, "Oh, um, I've really got bad period," you know, I'll be like, "Okay, why are you here right now? Should you be in school or should you be at work?" I sh- actually, I should be in school, but I can't be. Okay. Now, let me tell you something about endometriosis. Like, I go, I don't even, I don't beat about the bush. I'm just like, okay, I used to have extreme bad periods as well. And I'm not saying you have endometriosis, and I don't mean to scare you. However, it turned out that I have a condition. It's a chronic condition, and this is what it is. Um, you know those cells that are, should be in your womb? Like, I literally launch into those cells that are in your womb and, you know, are shedding every month. Now, there are some extra cells. We don't know what they are. We don't know why they do this, but they are not those cells in the womb. They are different cells. They are outside the womb, and they're just doing what they are doing. <laughs> and I just try to break it down and say they are you know they are similar to cells within the lining of the womb and you know just explain what endometriosis is and then the next thing I'm saying is have you spoken to your doctor about this if they say no I'll be like you need to go to your doctor you need to mention your symptoms and you need to also you know what other symptoms you have apart from this do you feel pain when you want to use the loo do you feel pain you know when you're weaned do you feel tired you know, a lot around this time. Do you think you have brain fog? Like sometimes does your brain just feel like you can't even, you know, I just basically, things that I know that are related to endometriosis, I break it down. I, I literally will be like, you need to track the symptoms now, right? That's the first thing I would advise anyone. Track your symptoms for maybe like one month or two months or whatever, however long you're, you know, comfortable with, and then take this information to your doctor and mention endometriosis. Mention, you know, they might say, no, it's not that, but you have your facts, you have your symptoms, and you have the information, you know, that you believe that, you know, you've gotten 
and just send this to your doctor don't wait and always push and if the doctor is dismissing you and saying it can be seek a second opinion go somewhere else and keep asking until you find someone that believes you so don't listen to anyone who says it's in your head don't worry don't listen to anyone who says it's common you know there are so many myths of endometriosis and i'm going to also share those myths with the person like some people say that you're too young because you're you know you're 13 that you can't be you can't have it that's not true you know adolescents have it as well it has been found in you know even embryos you know i'll explain all of that because i feel like you know we just need to keep sharing this information and letting people know and it might turn out that the person goes and it's just you know truly ibs or whatever but I would rather the person is sure that it's not endometriosis than think, you know, than just be in that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So I don't know if this is, I think I got too passionate. Like, no, no, that's, like, <laughs> that's great because in that situation, you feel like you might be the link for that person to access care and that you only have a small window. So I completely understand that feeling of like, you want to dump all this information out because, you know, your paths crossed and and they're going to go on their way. You know, you just want to support them. It's like, in a way, it's kind of beautiful that people can come together and quickly have a deep conversation about periods, right? Like that is just something that we haven't had before. And I, I think it's also really important to to just say, you know, at, at the front and, and at the close, you know, at the top of a conversation and at the finish to say, that period pain is not normal, that bad periods that keep you from school, from work, in bed, on the floor, sick, crying, that is not normal. People who menstruate have been put in a position where they've tolerated things that are not normal because treating the female body is deprioritized unless we are Pregnant. Uh, That's just another thing. Just remember, pregnancy doesn't cure endometriosis, no matter what anybody says. (laughs) If it did, um, that would be lovely, right? It would be great, but it's it's not the case. So um, where can people follow you online? So on Instagram at notdefinedbyendo. I just share information and just share stories and just I'm there to support anyone who, you know, you can DM me if you want to ask questions. Um, I'm there. And on Twitter, I'm at not without the O. So NT defined by endo. And I also just share information, share resources. I'm also on Health Unlocked. A lot of people don't know about Health Unlocked. It's a health platform where people just go on there and just ask questions. So anything about health, like there are different communities and I'm on there as well as not defined by endo. So when you go there and say, oh, you know, I'm scared, I'm about to have a surgery. Does anyone know this, that and this? People are there to actually answer each other's questions. So it's a really good way to, you know, get information from people like you or to just have an idea if you have any questions is really good so those are the and i'm also on facebook but i'm not very you know i'm not very active on facebook but yeah you can find me there and one other thing is i'm building an app just like you are <laughs> carol um but you know if you go on my on my instagram you'll see more information as we roll out the app excellent 
And we'll put links to all of that in our show notes and make sure that you guys can find Tenny. Thank you for sharing your story and for sharing so many really good actionable ideas around self-care and nutrition. And again, just the opportunity to, to be able to communicate to people that period pain is not normal and that getting a diagnosis needs to happen faster. In, in this and other female health conditions, we need to be able to more quickly diagnose people so that they're not suffering for 16 years while they're dealing with these debilitating symptoms. Tenny, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Terrific. Tenny Agunro, thank you so much. We'll be right back with Ending on a High Note. Ending on a high note. We need it after that KL intro, right? Oh, so this is exciting. I, I imagine that many of you have seen the cool bracelets that are made from plastic beads and they have like a little tiny charm on them. And they're created by a company called Four Ocean, the number four and the word ocean. They have reached a magnificent milestone in just six years. 30 million pounds of plastic waste has been recovered from our oceans, rivers, and coastlines in just six years. The company was founded in 2017. The bracelets are adorable. I love supporting their initiative, and and I'm just one of millions because I see them all over the place, and I, I see so many people wearing them. And it's just amazing that that much plastic has been re claimed and then repurposed. And and you buying those bracelets supports that initiative. Doesn't that feel good? Alex Schultz, 4Ocean CEO and co-founder, created a business that employs people in local communities. They collect the plastic and then the plastic is transformed into these bracelets by artisans in Guatemala and Bali. And that figure, by the way, has been verified They're so crystal clear about their supply chain, how they capture the plastics, how it's processed. So you can check that out. It's not some PR move. What I love about this story, about Four Four Oceans' story, is that he began with the goal of cleaning the oceans and then figured out a way to build a sustainable business that employs hundreds, including captains and crew, hauling plastic from the waterways. He didn't aim to disrupt an industry or move fast and break things or choose profits over public health. He aimed to do good for the planet and the people that inhabit it. So thank you, Alex and Team 4 Ocean. We love your bracelets. We love your mission. We love supporting you. And we love ending on a high note featuring you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Hello Uterus. Please come back next week. We'll have another show for you. And also, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you would write a review, it will help the show gain traction and we can find more people to support with your support. And if you haven't downloaded Uterine Kind, please do so. Head to the app stores. You can download it for free. We don't gate any features, any content. We don't make you pay to download a physician summary report so that you can have a better consultation. It's all free to use. So please go download it 
and start collecting your symptoms data. Makes me think of the kale story. You know, when when we first set out to create Uterine Kind, we wanted to build an app that would make it easy for you to gather symptoms data so that you could get diagnosed faster, right? But what's become clear to us over time is that this symptoms data is going to be important for many people because of exposures to chemicals. So knowing your symptoms and having a record of your symptoms unfortunately, may become very crucial information if you ever have to take on any corporation because you feel that their products or their practices have exposed you to PFAS chemicals or other compounds which are dangerous to the human body. So I encourage you for a million reasons to download the app and take advantage of keeping a a really good, solid record of your symptoms over time. Hopefully you'll never need it, but if you do, you have it. Thank you, Angel, for your work on producing Hello Uterus. We couldn't do this without you. And thank you to the team back at Uterine Kind. They have been so overjoyed by the reviews that we've gotten in the app stores about the app. We read them, we print them out, we stick them on our walls. We're so grateful to have the opportunity to help you get better healthcare. So until next week, be well, be cool, be kind. The Hello Uterus podcast is for informational use only. The content shared here is to not be used to diagnose or treat any medical condition. Please ask your physician about your health and call 911 if it's an emergency. And thank you, Uterine Kind, for listening. 